Welcome to the You Can Eat With Us podcast with Libre Connections. Join your host, Tara Harbstreet, as she sits down to chat with people who have experienced the ups and downs of intuitive eating and body acceptance on their path to health and happiness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of the You Can Eat With Us podcast. I'm your host, Kara Harpstreet, and can't tell you how excited I am to be back for some brand new episodes. If you listened along with season one, you know, we took a little bit of a break after we finished that season. You know, life gets busy. We all need some time off. And if you're brand new, then maybe you're hearing us for the very first time. Either way, if you need a refresher or you want to get to know us a little bit and get to know the types of things we talk about on the podcast, definitely go back and catch some of those earlier episodes. We're actually changing things up a little bit with the second season. I had done a survey when we wrapped things up at the end of last year, and so many of you came back and said that you really liked the layout of the show, but we're looking for a little bit more diversity in the types of topics and the guests that we had on the show. So your responses have been heard, and I'm really excited to bring some interesting people and their stories to the podcast for season two. So to give you a little preview of what's to come in season two, we're going to be changing things up just a little bit. We are doing some shorter episodes, so hopefully this makes it a little bit easier for you to fit some listening time into your busy days. But in addition to that, we're going to be doing some things with mini series. So instead of always releasing podcasts on a weekly basis, we're going to do some mini series where we're going to release an episode every day over the course of, let's say, three days. There's also going to be some solo episodes sprinkled in. We did a lot of Q&A last season, which you guys really enjoyed, and we had so many great questions. It just got really tough to answer all of them because we were limited to how many we could get to in a week. So keep an eye out for those because those Q&As are a great opportunity to start getting into some of the nuance of intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. When we're limited to such short episodes, it's so hard to do anything more than scratch the surface. As much as we love introducing some of the topics, we know that this can be really confusing. There's so much going into it and a lot of different things to think about. And what works for one person is obviously not gonna work for all of us. And so these will be our opportunity to expand on those things a little bit and just kind of get further into the weeds with some of the topics that seem to be most important to you guys, our listeners. So with all of that being said, we are launching season two right on the heels of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. If you're familiar with the world of eating disorders, then you may already know how important it is to make these stories known and keep driving awareness about who they affect and how that plays out. There's so many misconceptions about eating disorders, and that's part of what we're going to get into with this first episode. But with that being said, we also have to point out that even though intuitive eating can be a tool for healing our relationship with food and our body and putting us on the path to recovery, it's not really meant to be a stand-in for eating disorder treatment. So even though we're launching season two with this topic, it's still really important to point out that if you're struggling in the moment or have been diagnosed with an eating disorder or are struggling with relapsing into your eating disorder, it's still really important to stay connected to your treatment team whatever that may look like for you. 
Anything that we say or mention on the podcast is not meant to replace individualized or personalized medical advice. So consider this our standard disclaimer that this is meant for educational and informational purposes only, and that it's still really important to seek out that individualized care if that's something you need or want. But that's enough for now. I really want to get into this first interview. So let me go ahead and introduce the guest that we're going to be chatting with today. His name is Ryan Sheldon, and you might already know him from Instagram, where his handle is at Binge Eater Confessions. He's a motivational speaker and brawn model, and he's been educating audiences about body image and binge eating disorder since his own diagnosis in 2015. He's passionate about raising awareness of binge eating and body image issues as an ambassador for the National Eating Disorders Association. Association. And his story has been shared everywhere from the Today Show to the Huffington Post, Teen Vogue, and other major media outlets. As an LGBTQ man living in a larger body, Ryan also speaks to teens about masculinity, identity, and body confidence. He's currently working on a book about his and other men's experiences learning to eat mindfully and love themselves just as they are. And that's really well aligned with what we're trying to do here at Libre Connections. So he and I were able to connect for this interview that you're about to hear. And I'm really excited for you to hear some of the ways that he addresses the myths and the misconceptions around binge eating disorder specifically. Not only that, but he also has some really interesting things to say about body image, especially given that he works primarily as a model and has a lot of opportunities to be really active in the media and do a lot of advocacy work around eating disorder awareness. So let's get right into things. Here is our interview with Ryan. All right. Welcome to today's show. I'm sitting down with Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. I think this timing is really interesting as well. We're actually catching the tail end of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and that's how you and I first got connected. So we heard a little bit about your background and experience in the introduction for this episode, but why don't we just open things up with getting to know you a little bit better and hearing more about your story with food? Great, absolutely. Um, So I'm 31 years old. Uh, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder in 2016, although I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I was struggling for a really long time before. I just didn't know that it was an eating disorder. Um, so I've been going to therapy for the majority, the majority of my life. I grew up in a Jewish household and I feel like that's kind of what your parents do, uh, send you to therapy, uh, from a young age. And I, uh, Never once did my eating habits or like my eating behaviors or my, my body image ever come up in a conversation with my therapist. Um, and I've gone to multiple therapists, you know, because I've been going for such a long time. And I don't know why that is. I, I think it's kind of twofold. I think, number one, therapists have so much to, you know, screen for when it comes to uh, like bringing on a new patient that eating disorders is just so low on their list as well as their education surrounding eating disorders, like what they are. And if they, you know, if they screen you for one and you have, you meet the criteria, then they have to like, you know, go through this whole other rigmarole to kind of, you know, go through that process and they might have to actually refer you out. But number two, I'm, I'm a six foot four guy and I've been, you know, a really big guy my entire life. And I don't think that, you know, anyone ever looked at me and thought, oh, he has an eating disorder. So maybe that's why it didn't get brought up. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that, you know, the the challenge in recognizing 
when an eating disorder has set in or what the behaviors around that look like, it can be really confusing because I feel like we often have this very stereotypical image of what a classic eating disorder, you know, even in air quotes, kind of looks like. So what were some of the first clues that your relationship with food was, was in a troubled spot? Yeah, great question. Um, and, you know, I do want to say that, you know, most people don't wear their eating disorders. So you can't look at somebody and say they have an eating disorder. Um, I think looking back, I remember I was 13 years old, like when I had my first binge, uh, although I like I didn't know it was a binge at the time. Um, and it kind of, you know, that that happened here and there. And everybody just kind of like, you know, chalked it up to like me having just this hearty appetite. Um, but I, I started to notice real issues when I was um, in college freshman year. I would, you know, I would binge in secrecy and then I would, uh, I would restrict after for, for a period of time. And then I moved out to California, uh, to transfer college. And I thought I kind of, I didn't really think anything of it. And then I got into a relationship and my ex had an eating disorder, diagnosed eating disorder. And I didn't really know much about them, but I started to see that I was picking up these like characteristics of an eating disorder um or i could start to finally see them and we kind of piggybacked off of each other and then uh, that relationship ended and my eating disorder kind of went full-blown you know what you mentioned as far as um you know picking up those characteristics or learning new behaviors without necessarily realizing that they could be labeled as disordered or an eating disorder is is often the case because you're right in that we can't just look at someone and up and say, oh, well, they're struggling right now, or they have an eating disorder. And it can be, you know, masquerading as a dieting attempt or certain restrictions around specific foods or food groups. And so as that kind of evolved with your history of disordered eating, what started to prompt you towards the path of seeking support and, and getting a little bit of help in your healing process? Absolutely. Uh, so this is an interesting journey. I think that anybody that you know, has struggled or is struggling with an eating disorder can probably agree to that, that the journey is, the recovery is definitely not linear. I was diagnosed in 2016, yeah, and I had actually brought it to my doctor's attention. I said, I think, because a friend brought it up to me and commented on, you know, my eating, which has been happening for many years at this point, but there's something, they mentioned binge eating disorder, and I was like, I never even heard of that, and I looked it up, and I was like, oh, this is, seems like something that I might have. I went to my doctor, he didn't really, he's never heard of it, and maybe that's just because binge eating disorder didn't become its own really eating, dis, real eating disorder until 2013 within the DSM-5, um, but uh, I brought it to him, and then he, you know, did his research, and then diagnosed me, and then I it was interesting because immediately like a weight was lifted off of my shoulder. Like I was like, Oh my God, like I now know what I'm go what's going on with me. It's like, I could put a name to it and like, let me get help. Like, let me create a blog. Cause there were, I went to Google and no, I couldn't find any, uh, any information on eating disorders from a guy's perspective. So that's what had me create my blog and my Instagram. But it was interesting because I started this journey of traveling the country, sharing my story. I was really fortunate and my blog, my Instagram kind of took off and I was, you know, going on national television, going on the radio, writing, like writing for online publications, getting interviewed by really big magazines. And it was, it was amazing and incredible, but a part of me felt like a fraud because here I was like traveling the country, talking to all these people kind of 
as if I had everything figured out. Um, but what nobody knew was that I was like really in the thick of my disorder uh, at that point. And I think it was really hard for me to even identify with that or to even really admit that because I thought just because I was diagnosed, great, it's all fixed now. I'm cured. Uh, wrong. So I finally had like a, a, a breakdown. Um, I reached the point where I was like, I need to really like get this under control and get help. And I, you know, talked to my therapist and we, we parted ways at that point because my therapist, you know, self-admittedly wasn't equipped to really handle, like to treat somebody with an eating disorder. So he really helped put a team together, find a team of doctors and support in Los Angeles. And, and ever since then, my life has been completely, it's been turned upside down in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you've hit on a couple of really key myths. You know, we've first mentioned, of course, you can't recognize an eating disorder simply by looking at someone, but also that presentation of what is truly disordered is sometimes cast aside because you might assume that someone is totally fine based on their appearance or because of their gender or gender identity, it's not an issue for them or because of their current body size, it's not an issue for them. So maybe you can expand on a few of those other myths that you've been working to break down because I know you mentioned being a really vocal advocate for raising awareness around eating disorders, especially for men and those who identify as men. And so what are some of the other misconceptions that are out there that we should be thinking about? Yeah, number one, men don't get eating disorders. That is false. In fact, 30 million Americans are currently struggling or will struggle with an eating disorder at some point in their life. And 10 million of those are men. And uh, I believe that that number is severely underrepresented simply because men go undiagnosed and men don't talk about their mental health. It really comes to like the education behind eating disorders. What are eating disorders? They are a mental illness. People don't understand. They just think, oh, I'm going to, they just think I'm choosing to not eat today or I'm choosing to do X, Y, and Z. It's, that's not the case. Um, so yeah, number one, that they do affect men, that they can affect truly anyone. The second misconception, um, even about like, you know, particularly binge eating disorder, people assume when you say that you have BED, that you are fat. Um, that's, that's wrong. It goes back to the whole thing. Not everybody wears their eating disorder. Um, when people said I looked great and I was like everything, I looked amazing. That was when I was at my sickest. So I think that, yeah, people, not everybody wears their eating disorder is a huge myth as well. Um, you, somebody looks at a fat person, they think that they're lazy. They don't know what they're going through. And someone looks at a person who's super skinny, they think that they don't eat. That's not really the case. Um, also, the third one, yeah, that eating disorders are a mental illness. They're a mental health issue. Um, and I think that uh, those are kind of the biggest misconceptions that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, well, and I want to explore a little bit more about your experience as, as a man moving through this diagnosis process and then now in this healed place, the work that you're doing. Have you run across any unique challenges when you speak so openly about your experience with an eating disorder? Or are there ever, you know, interesting conversations or situations that you run into because of those misconceptions that we just mentioned? A, a thousand percent. Um... Yeah, that's probably the most frustrating, one of the, one of the most frustrating parts. I actually uh, was part of this documentary where we were going, um, we were walking on Hollywood Boulevard, and I was asking people, what's the first thing you think of when you hear eating disorders? And they say, skinny, white, female, anorexic. That's it. Um, we, I asked about, there was like nine different people. Only one person said um, it, they can affect anyone. Um, you know, the eating disorders do not discriminate against religion, ethnicity, gender, orientation, age, none of that matters. Um, 
But when I would say to people, I have an eating disorder, what, and then I would say, what would you say if I told you that I had an eating disorder? Every single one of them, except the one, looked me up and down and said, you look great. I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, wait, what? That's insane. Like, so I think that um, for me, when I tell people that I have an eating disorder, I feel kind of judged because it's, you, it's not all the time, but like, cause I talk about it often, but when it's a one-on-one -on -one setting and a lot of times people look at me like I'm like, I have five eyes or something when I tell them that I have an eating disorder and they look me up and down and it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, in addition to that, I, I am a, a model. Um, and that is, I'm a brawn model. Um, and that's really interesting when I tell people that because then they start to look at me like, wait, you're a model. You're like a bigger guy. Like, how are you a model? It, it drives me crazy because it puts me in this mindset of kind of, um, of like, am I worthy enough to be a model? Am I good looking enough to be a model? Am I too big to be a model? Like it, it, it really is a, a tricky situation. Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that was one of the questions that I was hoping we would get around to covering in your bio and background. Of course, we heard a little bit about the modeling work. And one, one thing that's come up time and again on the podcast has been social media and the perception of our body and the images of our body that we may be putting out there. And of course, as a model, that's really at the forefront of your work in that space. So have you found any helpful ways of sort of either connecting or detaching from your body image, depending on the setting and, and anything that's been helpful as far as your healing process in seeing images of your body? Totally. Um, when I first started doing this, um, before I got signed to an agency, I was, you know, doing like test shoots and everything. And I would look at the pictures after, and I, I'm not even joking with you. There was such a disconnect between me and the pictures because I didn't know who was the guy in the, who the guy was in the picture. I couldn't, when I saw it, I was like, that is not me in the picture. Like I didn't even recognize myself. Um, to be completely honest with you, I have done a lot of different things like modeling and like TV and everything. And I don't like to watch really anything that I do because I'm afraid. So it, even now, even though I love my body, there's something about seeing myself that kind of drives me a little crazy. And I think a lot of people that are probably in the space feel very similarly. Um, but honestly, I don't associate like, if I hear people talking negatively about like about my body image, I don't associate myself with them. Um, it's one of those um, one of those things where I really try to not surround myself with negativity. Um, but it's interesting because when you go on go sees, you know, as the model, you're going to these like a go sees like an audition, right? Kind of, you go there, you meet with the photographer, one of the producers. Also, they take a picture of you and you look at everybody else in the waiting room and it's kind of hard to not compare yourself to them because again, they're up for maybe the same job as you. And I'm, I look around and I'm like, well, every guy here has that cultural ideal body image. Um, and when I say cultural ideal, I mean the guy that you see on the cover of a magazine with like a six pack, that is what society and me the media has portrayed as being the cultural ideal body. And here I am with zero abs, which I embrace and I love it. And I accept myself for who I am, but it does get challenging. And then when you're on set, sometimes, you know, I'm, you're, these photo shoots, I, if, unless you've been on one, I don't think people realize how big they are. You have like 30 to 40 people on set, no joke. And they're all watching you and you're the only one up there in front of the camera. And it's like, wow, like, am I, why did I get this job? Like, am I, the, am I just like, getting made fun of because I'm the fat boy? It's this weird, weird thing um, that happens, but I really try to just stay positive. And because of all of like my Instagram and all of the, you know, and Nita and all the different opportunities that I've had to really connect in person and virtually with, you know, some of these, my followers, you could say like, it's incredible because the impact that 
that I have and that everybody has that shares their story is so powerful. And that really surpasses every time, every doubt that I've ever had about what I do or every insecurity. It's like when somebody comes up to me and says, thank you so much for, for being vulnerable. You've allowed me to feel comfortable to be vulnerable. That is so worth everything. Oh, and it's so powerful. And I think too, I mean, that's the, the whole goal of the podcast is to share some of these personal stories, because even though someone's background or experience might be really different than our own, I think there's aspects of your story that anyone can relate to. I mean, we've all been in that place where we feel like we're put on the spot or we're standing in front of a room of people or even that self-judgment. I mean, we can be our own worst critic. So I can really appreciate that you've, you've moved to a place where that self-acceptance is now louder than those critical voices. I'm also curious to learn a little bit more about your writing. You've mentioned your blog, and of course we heard about that in the introduction. So did you find that the writing or journaling aspect of it contributed to your healing at all, or did that come after this place of, of moving through that diagnosis and recovery process? I would say, okay, firstly, I would say that maintaining a blog is literally a full-time job um, and it is really challenging to do. Uh, so I'm not great at upkeeping on my blog, but writing absolutely has been like, this whole journey like of me sharing my story has been the most, most cathartic thing that I could have done. I think that it's played such a huge part. I know that it's played such a huge part of my, of my healing. It is, it's, you know, like you you get out there and you're sharing, like when you get up and like you write something on a public forum or you speak in a public forum or whatever it is that you do, it's very challenging in general. But now imagine like doing that and talking about your darkest times of your life. Um, that even makes it 10 times more challenging, but but when, again, when you have people that are po the commenting positively and getting a positive reaction out of it, it, it literally is like, wow, like I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that's dealing with this problem. There are so many other people out there, so many millions of guys out there, girls out there, non-gender specific, whatever it may be. There are so many other people that are, that are challenged with the same issues. And that is truly like what I found through my writing. Right. And I can tell how passionate you are about this work. And that kind of gets into the advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved and maybe some of the resources that are available to us or for anyone who's listening that might want to maybe start their own recovery? And I think that's a great question. And I think I empower everyone that's out there to, you know, definitely if that's part of your journey to start like a blog or an Instagram, whatever it may be to share your story, please do it. I empower you to do it. There needs to be more people out there talking about it in a really positive, healthy way. Uh, so I got involved with NIDA National Eating Disorders Association. Um, because back in 2016, I wrote a blog post for them. And then just from being like in this space, like with an online presence, I, they asked me to go be a part of Twitter panels, and then they asked me to come speak at uh, their the first Nita Bita Binge Eaters uh, Disorder Association conference in New York in 2017. And then uh, one thing led to another, and it was just like that relationship just kept building. Um, and then uh, they asked me back in September if I they offered me to become an ambassador for them, uh, which let me just like paint the picture. When I first started my journey and I learned about Nita, because I didn't know about Nita until I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. Uh, I looked on their site and I was just going through all the different things. And I said, ambassadors, like, how do you become an ambassador? This is like, this is, I want to become an ambassador because I feel like there's no guys out there that are ambassadors. How crazy would that be? Um, 
And sure enough, like I like accomplished that goal. And that was something that came so organically because it's not something you can really even apply for. It's just, they want to like, they choose people that they believe have that voice and they want to represent them. Um, and it's Nita has, has changed my life. I have actually really their, their whole theme this, this year for the national eating disorder awareness week is come as you are. Um, and what does that mean to you? And that truly like, this is the first time I feel like, that I've actually come as I am. And like, I have never talked about, you know, my sexuality in public really. I mean, it's just because I thought that that didn't matter. I, I never showed my vulnerabilities, my vulnerable sides. Truly. I thought that I did, but I never really did because I was afraid that if people out there knew that I was really still struggling, that they weren't going to view me as this per, as like a resource or as a potential role model. So there was a lot of things that were going on there, but, um, Nita is a great place. They, they are so accepting. They have, uh, you can go to nationaleatingdisorders.org. They have a helpline where you can call them. You can chat with them online and you can also text them. They're there to help. Uh, they also have great screening tools online. If you go to the to nationaleatingdisorders.org in the top right hand corner, there's a screening tool. If you think you are struggling with someone, they also can help find you a, um, like a treatment team, like a doctors that they recommend. They're just like the most incredible organization out there for this. And, and I truly feel like they are my family. Yeah. And you've mentioned screening a couple of times. I mean, going all the way back to the beginning of your story um, in healthcare settings, screenings are, are so, so key for recognizing things early on, but they're often missed. And so having these online resources, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes, um, having that availability and access to resources is really key because we sometimes stay in limbo for a while. You know, we might recognize that our relationship with food or exercise or body image is really troubled, but we're not fully committed or prepared to take that next step. And so just gathering information and learning what options are available can be a really key piece. So I appreciate you mentioning all of those. And for, for some of our listeners who are curious to learn more about your writing and media appearances and the work that you do, where could we send them to find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, Instagram is probably the best bet. Um, my Instagram handle is binge eater confessions. My name is Ryan Sheldon. I also have a blog, mrconfessions.com, but the most up-to-date and up to date, meaning like daily every day is Instagram and feel free to reach out to me. I try to get respond to everybody's messages. Yeah. I feel like Instagram is really where it's at these days. I probably spend um, far more time on that platform than I care to openly admit. But oh, since, we're, <laughs> since we're talking about being vulnerable and authentic, I'll, I'll just disclose it here. I spend way too much time on Instagram. I appreciate the honesty. It's so easy to though. Like, and it's incredible. Like Instagram really is trying to build this safe community. And like what I, you know, what you do is if you think that you are struggling and like, you know, you can find me, follow me and see who I follow. Cause there's some incredible other people out there that are in this community that are speaking out too, that are so inspiring. So I definitely recommend doing that as well. Fantastic. Well, like I said, we will be sure to link to all of those resources that you've mentioned so that if you're listening, you can head over there to learn more. And Ryan, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your evening to chat with us. I'm so excited to hear about the work that you're doing and to continue following along with what you do in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, um, to have me on, Kara. All right, so that was our first show back for season two. How'd we do? 
You can always leave us a rating or review on iTunes and share your feedback there. This is really helpful for us because it gives us an idea of what you guys want to see, what you guys like most about the show. But then that rating can also help us come up higher in the search rankings so that we can get this non-diet message in front of more of the people who can likely benefit from hearing it. Be sure to come back next Tuesday for a brand new episode, but until then, you can always keep in touch with us by following along with us online. We're on social media as Libra Connections on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and in addition to that, we also have a mailing list and a Facebook group. So keep an eye out for all of those links in the show notes, as well as the resources that we mentioned in this episode, and we can't wait to see you here again soon. Thanks for listening.